0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Things podcast. Uh, We've been talking a lot a bit about very specific things this summer, whether it was the show Big Brother, which has been bad, or the WWE, which actually Cody Grant, uh, producer of Chuck and Winkler, is going to take over the WWE podcast. You can check that out at 1057fmthefan.com right here on the app as well. And just look for the WWE podcast under the Producers tag. So still the content there. Cody Grant, though, has taken that over. So make sure you check that out. We talk about the WWE. Okay, with the NFL coming up this weekend, a couple of different ways that we wanted to look at betting. Chuck and myself on the show, Chuck and Winkler, we make actual bets on the program. We go through the lines of every game, and you're seeing ESPN trying to balance doing their college football TV coverage with giving you the lines. There's a lot of things going on. So in the next few minutes here, we'll talk to Andrew Barbarisi, who wrote the book Dueling with Kings from the daily fantasy sports perspective, how this is able to be legal despite all signs saying it shouldn't be. He wrote a book on what it was like in depth, actually became one of these marks or these these sharks or sharps or some combination of that word, and won a ton of money playing hockey, a sport that he knew nothing about. He was a Yankees beat writer and got into that world through hockey. So we'll talk to him here in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk to Brett Smiley. He, along with Jimmy Shapiro from Bovada, they've got a new site out called SportsHandle.com. And it talks a lot about sports betting and how it won't just be through sites like Bovada and in and in Vegas, it will be legalized someday at some point. It's something that we talk about on the morning show quite a bit. So let's bring him in. Brett Smiley with SportsHandle.com. Sports betting, this at some point, Brett, this is going to be legal. We were just talking about it on Wednesday's show that you'll be able to do it in stadiums and you'll be able to do, I mean, watching ESPN College football coverage over the weekend, they kind of toe the line of, yeah, this is college, but... Here's the line for the game. Flat out, when? When are we looking at legalized sports betting in America?
1: Well, there's a little bit to unpack there, but let me start with uh, the when. It's, I think it's going to be in the next uh, one, to to three years. The, the biggest, best, best chance for, for it to become legalized in the U.S., at least in the state of New Jersey, is via the Supreme Court. Now New Jersey has a, well, they've had a 10-year quest against the leagues, and uh, the case, like I said, is reaching the Supreme Court, and if they prevail, uh, those oral arguments will be sometime in the fall or early next year. The decision should come in the middle of 2018. Uh, Now, if they prevail, then New Jersey will be the first to to jump at it, and then there's a lot of other states that have legislation teed up. So, you know, it could just be toward the end of next year, uh, maybe the beginning of 2019. It depends on your state a bit.
0: So it'll kind of be like, the legalization of marijuana, maybe, where some some states say yes, and then some governors are against it, and we might be on a state-by-state basis here before everybody finally says yes?
1: Absolutely. I mean, these these measures will be on the ballot, just like they have been for marijuana. You know, there's a lot of states that have it medicinally, you know, recreationally. It's uh, Washington, Massachusetts, Colorado, so... Yeah, those, those ballot measures will come up and people will vote, and legislators hopefully will act according to the people's will.
0: What would be, or what has been, do you think, as far as the leagues go, the the NFL, NBA, MLB, what's been their biggest reason for this not to be legal? Because when you look at it objectively, there's a lot of ways that not only they can profit off of it, but it would create even more interest in the game. I think that they can – they can walk the line and say, well, you know, we don't want to be responsible if somebody takes it too far or you have the Pete Rose situation. You never want to see that. But I think those cases are are maybe few and far between that overall leagues, I would think, would want this to be passed.
1: Absolutely. And I think if you ask them off the record or gave a truth serum, they would admit that they know that it is beneficial to increase TV ratings, which has been... A concern, but the main reason that uh, it's not been is, in a nutshell, the integrity of the game, and that's that's a phrase that you can trace back to the first commissioner in sports, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, uh, who was put in that position after the Black Sox scandal, and that that's the phrase that Paul Tagliabue, former NFL commissioner, used in 1992 when the, this this law, ASPA, that banned sports betting outside of Nevada. He used that, and, uh, I mean, that torch has been carried now by Roger Goodell. And we agree, and probably most of your listeners, that it's hypocritical, uh, especially in light of, you know, the upcoming move to Las Vegas. So I think that, that argument is crumbling down, and that's why we're seeing more movement.
0: It's just so weird the last couple of years watching how quickly and maybe too quickly the leagues were to embrace – the daily fantasy sites like FanDuel, DraftKings, and the other ones that have come and gone with all the ads and all the the merchandise everywhere and the, the signs in the stadium. And, you know, they tell their players they can't play it, but these guys are in fantasy leagues. You know, it's just, it seems like that was the sign for me that, yeah, they want it, but they just, they have to, again, as we've been talking, kind of toe that line.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's one of the major. Driving forces here, as well. I mean, you got you got Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones, two, maybe the, the two most prominent owners in the NFL are are personally invested in these entities. And you know, the DFS, I, if people want to play, that's good. But it's definitely gambling. I mean, they found a loophole in a 2006 law that uh, differentiates between skill and and wagering. But uh, I think most. Rational people would agree that it is
0: gambling. I mean, I lost several grand one summer. <laughs> I mean, I didn't lose that from from uh, from skill. I lost that from betting money to try to win more money on daily fantasy sports. And it's just that one little. Is that what you're saying? It's just that one that one little loophole that makes that legal because everybody does it and promotes it.
1: Right. Yeah. They they found a loophole. It was a 2006 law that. I think was aimed at uh, preventing financial institutions from enabling betting with offshores, just the, la- the language of it, so U-E-I-G-A, or uh, I forget how it's pronounced. But, yeah, that's, that's the law, and they later exploited it uh, in the ensuing years and continue to do so. Uh, but the states have found a way to make some some money off it, and I, and I think that's going to happen with sports
0: betting. Brett Smiley here on the Wings Things podcast, 1057fmthefan.com. You look overseas. I'm a big soccer guy, and I, the West Ham is the team that I like. And they've got Betway right on their jersey. They've got they've got places in the stadium where you can you can bet on the games. If this and when this is adapted in the United States, that you can bet on games. Uh, how much is the fan experience going to be different for people that want to bet? I, I would assume. You could go to the major sites then and place bets. There'd be kiosks set up in stadiums. Are these the kind of things that we'll see?
1: It was my understanding that in Europe, they they turned off the kiosks once the games began. Um, Maybe you've read differently than I have. I I think they're grappling with that now in Las Vegas, deciding whether they want to allow, you know, those mobile apps that Las Vegas has put out uh, inside the stadium. Um, I mean, that'll certainly change. The experience a bit but but ultimately you know people will be able to bet through a legal entity that is operated by the state and you know should be licensed and has greater integrity than some of the means they're using now which is offshores which are outside of u.s jurisdiction and uh, maybe some local bookies who aren't exactly reputable
0: now at some point uh, i mean once this is legal and they can do everything uh, against it but there will be an athlete that that, that there will be a coach or somebody or a equipment manager that that puts money down how do you prevent that from happening if you can
1: a database of names that uh can be shared interstate between books and just control that i mean right now we could very well be having athletes and coaches and trainers making these same wagers completely outside of uh The purview of of u.s law you know just using an offshore account where that where frankly they don't really care so i i think uh if this comes you know within the u.s and and is regulated and line movements are monitored there's a greater chance that we could catch some sort of scheme going on like that
0: it's just weird it's weird to me how we as a society will cross a line and just say something's acceptable or not like you're you're seeing it happen with marijuana, as I said, and you've seen it happen with marriage equality over the years. And the example that I'll use for sports is alcohol. I mean, during a game, you're inundated with, with commercials for beer and all this other different stuff. And there's restaurants that say, come here and and drink our beer and enjoy our wings and then have a lot of beer here. And then you got you know, you got to drive home or you got to drive home from your buddies with alcohol. I don't ever hear the NFL being worried that because of them, because of their promotions, because people are drinking during the games, I don't ever hear them saying, well, we don't want to be responsible when something like that happens, but I don't know when that line will cross because if, if a guy spends a bunch of money betting on a game and then, you know, he spirals out of control because of that, the league doesn't want to be responsible for that. But is it not hypocritical when you see it with, with alcohol?
1: It's definitely hypocritical because with the, uh, I mean, with the sports game, they're talking about the integrity of the game, but if you want to talk about the in-stadium experience, I mean, I've been to enough games. I'm sure you have that the number one cause of fights and uh, people spilling beer and and any violence and arguments in bathrooms is alcohol. People just getting hammered, not knowing their limits, or not caring, you know, in the tailgates or inside the stadium, but they're okay with that because that's their big money sponsor and the uh, the alcohol entities. So. The NFL is definitely accustomed to holding hypocritical positions, and they won't even allow some athletes, I think mean, Richard, Richard Sherman pointed this out, to to uh, be sponsors for, for any alcohol entity. So it's just the level of hypocrisy is high.
0: Right. Charles Woodson, who we're familiar with here, had, had a vineyard and a wine that he couldn't really start promoting until he retired. So it, there is a big level of hypocrisy on that one. They'll let you hawk anything, but... They can't be in a like a Budweiser or a Miller Light commercial. very interesting. So you would say that one to two three years you'll be able to legally bet at least in a couple of states or when when are we looking nationwide do you think in your crystal ball?
1: Well people who who are really interested and want to stay on top of this they check out our website sportshandle.com. We are closely monitoring the uh, the Supreme Court case it's uh, It's kind of a Super Bowl of sports betting in the courts. Uh, it's, and they just released their briefs the other day, and they're, they're pretty compelling. Uh, that that case will be heard, or a lot of arguments. It's on the October term, so that means the arguments will be sometime November, December, January, uh, I don't think later than February, and then we'll get a decision no later than June, and that will determine effectively whether this 1999, 1992 law, PASPA is constitutional or not. If it's deemed unconstitutional then that opens the door and new jersey would implement it first in atlantic city and other racetracks and then there's a lot of states that are ready to go to um connecticut for example california has proposed a constitutional amendment Uh, mississippi so all over the country
0: sportshandle.com is the website uh, i have to ask can you bet on the Supreme Court decision anywhere?
1: It's funny. I uh, I had a conversation with, with with the site the other day <laughs> that does put out uh, lines such as this. It's possible that, and in, in European sports books, you can bet on it. Uh, maybe some of the other uh, more popular offshores. But since we're on the topic, I'm going to go and set a line after reading those briefs the other day. Pretty good. I would say it's minus 200 that New Jersey
0: wins. Always looking for any way to get action. Brett Smiley, SportsHandle.com. Our thanks to him. Uh, Daniel Barbarisi. as we turn from sports betting, which at some point will be legal, to really, as we talked about with Brett, sports betting that's kind of legal now. I mean, DraftKings and FanDuel, that's betting. You are betting money to win more money. And there are some there's some ways around it which make this possible. Daniel Barbarisi wrote this book, Dueling with Kings. The backstory is fascinating. He was a Yankees beat writer. I was kind of getting bored. Found out about DraftKings specifically, and started playing baseball. He thought, "I work. We're, I'm in baseball. I should be able to. I should be able to." Beat everybody. I know everything about baseball. I know more than anybody. I'm in the locker room. I got access. Uh, he got his ass kicked. He was doing poorly. Went super deep into the world of DraftKings. And that, that's what the book details. The book again, Dueling with Kings. Daniel, this book. Okay, so sometimes we'll get these books and I'll say, Yeah, I'll read this thing. And I read, you know, the back cover and then try to fake my way through an interview. As somebody who has played daily fantasy sports since kind of right before the boom, uh, somebody who has been told many times, this is the day, cash out everything you have now, this empire's fading, and then you still put in 50 the next day. Uh, this was a gripping tale of sort of your immersion into this thing, and I find it interesting, really, because you started, I mean, you were a beat writer for the Yankees for the longest time, and that, Daniel, is when you kind of... Well, that's when you discovered what this whole daily fantasy sports world was about.
2: Yeah, I mean, Bart, I think your um, your experience is actually a little ahead of the game of most people. It seems like you were a little ahead of mine, actually. Uh, where you know, I think many people just had a you know a standard drafting a team with your buddies and playing along for the uh, course of the year, and then, of course, in 2015, really uh, the whole thing changed very dramatically, and that's when most people saw the the advertising blitz that. Catapulted the company's DraftKings and FanDuel really into the national consciousness. So, as you noted, I was a, the Yankees beat at the Wall Street Journal, and I discovered it, you know, around May of that year and said, whoa, A, this thing is super fun, but B, it's also a little crazy. Um, it seems so big, and I, I can't believe more people aren't kind of looking into this and talking about this. So I decided I'm going to try to go into this thing and tell the story of it from the inside, seeing if I can become one of the big sharks instead of the terrible fish that I was at the
0: time. Yeah. So, so with these fish, all right, so fish is basically, well, anybody that, that I've signed up to play these things, you you play daily fantasy sports. The promise there, as we know, is that you can be one of these big winners. Now, if you do it right, you can win a little bit of money at the end of the day, at the end of your bank account, you may be even, you may be up a little bit, you may have lost, but what happens is with anything there's people that get into it and then there's people ahead of the curve. So I may have I may have known about it, but I was not ahead of the curve in terms of how to make this really a money-making operation because when you think, "Hey, I want to set a daily fantasy sports lineup," the understanding is just like with your other fantasy leagues, you set the lineup, you know, you're good at sports and you being as close as you were to the Yankees in baseball, you think, all right, there's a lot of potential for me here. But what you learn and what you learn in the book and then the way you track these people down is great too, that there are these formulas, there are databases, there are spreadsheets, there are systems that will enter in salaries for you and make necessary adjustments. So when you play your one lineup, you play your one lineup that you took 20 minutes to set and you think that you're good to go, there's people that have been working the entire day with scripts, setting all this stuff, getting it ready, and they're the ones winning the $10,000, and you lose 20 bucks on the night, and you think, well, I guess I just didn't have the best lineup that night, but it's because there's all these sharks, which you, you became. It
2: wasn't that people were cheating, but it was that in their crush, their drive to destroy each other, DraftKings and FanDuel had created a world where there were really no checks and balances, and it allowed the best players to run roughshod over people like you and me. And so I really didn't like that. And I I said, I want to get into this thing and and tell the story of it and see if it is even at all possible to become one of these sharks without having computer algorithms and without doing all that kind of crazy stuff. So, you know, I went in and, as you noted, tried to go find mentors and teachers and live amongst the biggest and best of that world. And, uh, you know, eventually I was able to ingratiate myself to the point where I was able to be successful, but... You know, I certainly wouldn't say that I had the average person's experience in the sense of, yeah, I proved it's possible, but I also had inherent advantages in terms of who I was before this that allowed me to get the kind of mentoring and tutelage that I think you know most people are not going to be able to get.
0: Right, but and as you find out, that might not even. Matter Because I think, look, I'm on a sports radio station. I'm a big sports fan. I cover these teams. I can get the lineups before everybody else. Some of these guys that play this stuff, this is purely a a numbers thing. They don't know how to pronounce these guys' names. They don't know what they look like. They don't know if they're white or if they're black or if they're veterans or if they're rookies, but they know numbers. And when you you first learn that that's what you're going up against and those are the guys – that are beating you it's very daunting but yet i think people are learning that yet people aren't stopping because of how uh, how addicting really games like this are
2: yeah i mean there's no question it is a lot of fun it's very addictive as i certainly found it's very hard to pull yourself away from it um you know there's a lot of tough gambling questions that come with that too you know where people are actually getting addicted and people are throwing tons of money at it because the game is designed that way. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. It's very smart. It's very, uh, you know, easy to get lost in. Um, But yeah, I mean, the the games themselves, I think one of the mistakes I made initially was thinking that this was a sports game and sports knowledge was going to carry the day, but no, it's to some degree a math game with a sports facade. And the two are, you know, combined, you know, sports knowledge helps, believe me, but at the start of it, you know, you have to understand things like game theory and, You know, linear optimization and and uh, (laughs) lineup correlation to really get any good at this. And so, you know, uh, over time, I became good at those concepts, became good at those things under some of the best people teaching me. But you know, that's not what everyone thinks it is. They think it's oh, you know, a little bit of football knowledge, show up and you're going to win a thousand dollars. And it's certainly not that.
0: Daniel Barbarisi, the book is Dueling with Kings. You do when you play DraftKings or FanDuel, the two big ones, you see the same names win the same tournaments now they have since taken steps to they'll show you if this guy's a a veteran or they'll show you but but i mean i have the little star next to my name i'm certainly not winning a ton of money on this thing but you see those names and the way you were able to track down these guys i thought was remarkable
2: yeah well i mean it's um I, one of the things i wanted to do was kind of pull the mask off of some of this you know and say okay this is who this person is this is how they do it you know, this is who they are, and you know, many of the people I talked to said, "Well, oh, you're going to keep me anonymous, right?" I said, "No way, absolutely <laughs> not. This is the point of this: is to, you know, really try to tell the real story of what's going on here and show who these guys really were." And so, yeah, I mean, some were very hard to track down; some were easier, honestly. Some really liked the attention, and some wanted no part of it. But um, you know, at the end, I found them all to be almost to a man very interesting people because. They're very smart. Even the ones who are a little bit more bro-oriented, shall we say, are still pretty smart. Um, you know, these are, this is a very high-end of people who are at the top of this thing. And, you know, if you're not smart and practiced and employing pretty good methods, you're going to have trouble here. And, you know, again, that's not what the original commercials said. Uh, and they didn't let on to that. But, yeah, I, and when you talk about those experience badges, I think I do say something in the book where, um, you know, for instance, the, the biggest and best player in the world, you know, Sihel Sued, formerly known as Max Dallery, uh, is, which is an interesting story in its own right, in terms of how he actually took a name from another guy. It's all a thing. It's in the book, whatever. But um, you know, when I first uh, dealt with him, I mean, he has the same experience badge I do. And he is light years ahead of me and you and everyone else who has that same rating. So while things are definitely better in terms of showing you, hey, this guy is really good, this guy could really crush you, it's still a little bit uh, deceptive in that I think it actually serves to highlight who the fish are and not really highlight who the sharks are.
0: A lot of people's first immersion with daily fantasy sports was the Blitz uh, with the NFL season a couple of years ago. That would have been the, the 2015 season where the commercials were on all the time. I mean, you would look at a normal commercial break, it would be DraftKings, Motor Oil, FanDuel, Fast Food and then the same DraftKings commercial you just saw. And, and at that point, people started to think, okay, all right, there's there's an interesting component to this. In fact, where is this money coming from? How are they getting this much money? Is this stuff even legal? The fight that DraftKings and FanDuel and these companies, Daily Fantasy Sports, have had to have gone through, uh, the state that you lived in, is shut it down. And there's states that you can't play in. You have to, when you put in money, you have to specify what state you're in and if you're in the wrong state, you're not going to get it in. This is still an ongoing, evolving legal matter from the fact that is it gambling or is it not?
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's really the the big fight right now. It's happening in you know legislatures and state houses across the country, really at this moment, uh, because these companies, you know, after they did end up the target of all kinds of well-deserved attention from the media and from regulatory agencies, because everyone asked those questions you just mentioned. What is this? Where did it come from? How did it get so big? What's the money end of it? Is it all legal? Once they, you know, began to become begin to become subjects of all those inquiries, uh, it became very clear there should be regulatory elements here. There's too much money flowing through it for there not to be. Um, it's you know it's very much like the idea of day trading and all that, but those things are very heavily regulated. So when this wasn't, that raised a lot of eyebrows. Right now, I think the industry itself has, has pulled off a, a very, very impressive lobbying effort, actually. They've gotten themselves explicitly legalized in a number of states. And, and you mentioned they're referred to New York. New York was their toughest battle, and uh, they were originally banned in New York, and then they managed to get a bill passed that legalized them explicitly in New York. So now they're back in business there, and that was a huge victory for the uh, for the companies. But there's a lot of other states, uh, Texas being a really good example, where you know that battle is underway right now. And so that's what they're trying to do now is actually get legislators across the country to say, okay, we're okay with this thing. We think it should be legal, but we want to make sure there are protections in place for the average player so that you don't have the situation like what I found and what you're talking about where, you know, you're getting crushed by the same guys and they may or may not be using methods that you don't like. So that's kind of where it stands now. It's, I think it's definitely in a better place, but that's mostly because of all the attention and the lights shut on it and the regulatory efforts. Not even the companies were going to do by themselves.
0: Daniel Barbarisi Dueling with Kings. I don't want to ruin much of the book as far as the stories and the friendships that you make. But the, when you – so you're, you're in baseball. You're a baseball beat writer. You're playing baseball games. You're playing football games. And I don't know why it struck me uh, as shocking as it did, but when you started talking about you were going to start playing hockey, and you're not a hockey yeah. guy but your wife covers hockey, but you don't know much about hockey. You don't just like a lot of people, baseball, football, basketball, and then hockey just exists. You, your foray into hockey was like the end of the sixth sense to me. I don't know why it was so shocking, <laughs> but I, 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 I think I audibly gasped. It
2: is funny. I mean, yeah. So when I, obviously, as we discussed, I was a baseball guy and I thought that was going to make me successful, but I think actually it hurt me because I came in with a lot of, preconceived assumptions and, and too much foreknowledge and I wasn't I almost needed to you know unlearn what I have learned shall we say and so to really start from blank blank slate to be good at this and so yeah when I when my mentor a guy named uh Jay Rayner who's actually a really wonderful guy but he goes by the username Beep by Majib um he said I'm going to start you and build you from scratch as a hockey pro and I was like that's crazy I think I said in the book that I hadn't paid attention to a hockey team since the 94 Rangers. I didn't know anything about anything. But he actually thought that was good, and it turned out that it was because, yes, I did become very successful in hockey. And uh, actually, it's funny, Beep, uh, the other day, on Saturday, won the Fantasy Hockey Championship of the World. So clearly he actually was certainly the right person to go to for advice there. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I've become a huge hockey fan directly as a result of this. Uh, And that's what the leagues are banking on is that, if they partner with these companies, you're going to care about a Vancouver San Jose game at 1am on the West coast finishing up. Whereas you're someone from in Boston and you don't would normally never pay attention to that. So, I mean, I am living proof that that stuff definitely happens. Um, and that's what they're hoping for.
0: When you're watching your lineups that late at night, they call it, they call it a sweat when you sweat out the lineups and, and I was sweating with your tale of how much you were able to win playing hockey. I was you know, right there with you. you. Did a great job in the writing style of of keeping everybody engaged. Again, the book is dueling with kings. Daniel Barbarisi, w- are you at the point now where this is your job, or, or w- what's your life like now? How much are you doing this?
2: Um, I still do play, but no, I definitely don't consider it my job. I mean, I uh, you know, I consider myself a storyteller, and the whole idea was I got the chance to tell a really cool and crazy and amazing story here, uh, and. Yeah, it was very interesting to do this along the way, but uh, now my ambition has never been to be a DFS pro.
0: I, Because I, I cashed out the other night, I just had like three bucks, and there's, uh, you know, overall I'm down. But you have a night where you win a little bit and you're happy. And I, I tell myself, I'm not going to play anymore. And then I get a free entry, and then I think, well, I really like this lineup, and okay, I'll put in $10. As far as my friends now, I'm – one of the few guys left that are still playing it, but mine's very recreational. I do have one friend who he hit a a big one, not like, like you guys have been able to hit, but he had a big enough one where he's been able to play for a while. And what he'll do every night now, I think he plays NBA a lot. He'll do half in tournaments and try to win big there. And then you do a different lineup for, for the cash games, so that he can win on the 50 50s and keep going he's kind of got his method and we all look at him like he's a genius but again compared to the the level of techniques and and the computer simulations through it I mean how much of that is still relevant where you can you can work a nine-to-five right and then come home and set your lineup but you have to go against still guys that are setting scripts all day is that still happening a lot
2: I mean, the scripting part, I think, is not as big of a concern anymore. Uh, It's certainly out there, but not as big a deal. Uh, It's more just that, you know, yeah, those guys are really, really good at what they're doing. They're really practiced at it. And you actually, I think, hit the the underrated part of it on the head, which is that you're coming home and spending your thing for half an hour putting that lineup in. Those other guys have been working on it since 9 a.m. You know, it's time is the biggest advantage that the pros have. And they put all of their time and intelligence into it and everyone else is kind of showing up and saying, wee, let's have a little fun. And so you're almost playing a different game to some extent. At this point, I don't put in a lineup, generally speaking, unless I have four or five hours to work on them. And, you know, I mean, if you're not doing that, you may be setting yourself up for failure in the short term, and you're almost certainly doing so in the long term.
0: When you you need four or five hours to do a lineup, as opposed to just 30 minutes, without giving – I mean, if you want to – whatever you want to give away, fine, but – What do you do in that time? Because there's people that I, if you tell them, if you want to win, you have to to do a five-hour lineup, and they might think, well, what am I looking for? It's five hours to set this eight-person lineup. That's not going to take me that long.
2: Well, it doesn't have to, but uh, I should say I'm talking maybe, let's say, three to five lineups, but the idea being that every game deserves rigorous analysis. Every scenario has to be, you know, essentially tested. I have my own, you know, kind of methods and theories that I employ, you know, I'm not an algorithm person at all, but I really like to go over all the potential combinations, potential possibilities, really try to vet the stats on it and break everything down. You know, I mean, salary analysis matters. The game is different every day. It really is to some extent a puzzle and you have to try to figure that puzzle out. And so, you know, it's not, it, there's a lot you can do. I'll say that there, you know, it, it can take a lot of time and you can really work hard at it and Sometimes I feel like, okay, that didn't take that long. And then sometimes I'll feel like, oh, 7 o'clock hits. I really needed another hour on this because these games offer a lot of different statistical possibilities, and I'm not really sure what I think is going to happen yet.
0: So, you know,
2: it's uh, you can put as much time into it as you want. And a lot of the time, obviously most of the time, that's time well spent.
0: Do you think overall uh, daily fantasy sports is, is good for sports, is good for these games? Because there's, there's a lot of positives to it. I mean, it gets more attention on games, and you might have people buying the MLB extra innings package to watch Padres Mariners, you know, when they normally wouldn't care. But there's also the point where uh, Twitter's a big part of it. You get people yelling at athletes. Uh, You could get athletes that are playing. You get people mad, and and they're more looked at as commodities now than they are players of their favorite sports teams.
2: Well, I think that's, you know, a larger trend where you're seeing just more people wanting – that didn't used to immediately gratify them to have a direct connection to them. You know, and you see it in every walk of life at this point. And you know, this is a social media thing, this is a technology-related thing. But we all expect to have an individual investment in whatever the heck is going on in front of us. We are not willing to be passive consumers anymore. And I think that's whether that's good or bad is for bigger minds than mine to argue. But I think it's where we are. And I think the leagues certainly believe in that. At the idea that this is how they are going to keep people's eyeballs on their screens. You know, the, the leagues used to be all about TV rights and, you know, ESPN contracts and all that. And court cutting is changing all that. Things are going in different directions. So they're now thinking about how can we adjust for this? And so I think that sports gambling in general is a big part of that. And you're going to see us move probably, I would say, towards a more European model in the next five to 10 years. Don't know exactly how that's going to shake out yet, but I think we're going there. So, you know, in terms of the, the good or bad of it, I simply just say at this
0: point it is. So, for a normal guy like me, uh, you know, talking to you for 20 minutes or so, a normal guy like me, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to play some lineups. Is there I, – I get discouraged, though, because I, I don't have the, the time. I don't have the, the methods that you and uh, Beep in a Jeep and all these guys have. Can normal people like me that play – can you win the ten thousand dollars? Can you win the hundred thousand dollars? can you can you do that without taking the route of being a shark like you had to do? Great to want to write a book about something and then pr- profit off that as well that that worked great for you. <laughs> yes it did <laughs> yeah. can can a guy like me go home and win money or do I have to take your route?
2: Um, can you yes, do I think you're going to tonight? No. And that's no insult to your intelligence. But, I mean, it's certainly possible. But, you know, I think the, what are the stats on it? It's 15% of people win. You know, that's well, what it is at this point. That's better than what it used to be. Um, but, you know, I, look, if you're going in and looking at it as what I think you do look at it as, which is entertainment and as a supplement to keep you more engaged in the games you're probably already going to watch, wonderful. You should do it like that. If you're going in there thinking, I'm going to profit off this every day and make a lot of money, and this is going to be my new career, I would tell you to stick to your day job because unless you're going to take it incredibly super seriously, you know, the idea is that, yeah, you can hit, you can get lucky, you can have a really good lineup and that lineup can win for you. But if it's pretty hard to be consistently profitable, if you're not putting in the real time and the real effort and the real energy and all that. So you know, um, yeah, it absolutely is possible. It actually can be done. But, you know, people need to recognize, and this is one of the things that made me laugh mad at the beginning, the commercial said otherwise. People need to recognize it's very hard, and it takes a lot. And you're not just going to show up and win. It doesn't work that way.
0: Oh, man, Daniel, two summers ago, I worked two different jobs an hour apart. So i drive to one, and then i drive to the next one. And in that hour, you're also, I have a little credit card debt at the time. <laughs> which is never the right time to be doing this. So I'm driving down and on the drive, I'm on my phone and I'm playing the $27 MLB DraftKings, And I'm just spending money and spending money where I'm at now. I think is much better. I'll play, you know, the five, the single entry, three, two, I'll play $15 a night and, and, and have fun and enjoy it, but not get too crazy. But it is very easy to fall into that trap.
2: Oh yeah. That, that experience. I mean, what you just described, I've done that to a T, you know, setting lineups on a drive and being like, Oh, well, my lineup's good. So why would I only have it in the $3? I should put it in the 27. And then (laughs) once you go down that slope, it's well, it's that good. I should put it in the 50. So, you know, it's, it starts to snowball from there. Yeah, And
0: then the um, night you win, you only had put it in the three and yep. then you're like, well, I should have won five grand. So the next day I'm chasing that money that I never had. there's a lot of that chase too.
2: I mean, there's even not even happens with professionals. I was out uh, in Miami this weekend with several of these guys. And I was actually, it was uh, Sunday night. And one of the big pros was, um, was we were at dinner and he had taken a light night and he put in $1,000, which obviously is a lot of money, but for him, who normally bets 10 to 15,000 a day, it was not. And he won 50,000 off that 1,000, and <laughs> you would think he'd be happy, but he was kicking himself because he had literally played a tenth of what he normally did. And if he had played his normal amount, you know, he could have had an incredibly huge, you know, life-changing night. So, um, I mean, it even happens at the highest levels where these guys wow. are still having that that regret. Uh, the same one that we're having over our $30. So it's a it's a strange world.
0: That, like any time you walk out of the casino, that's why you're a loser because it, once you win, you think, well, this $600 I won, that's not enough. I want to win 1200 And then by the time you leave, you're down 1200 So as long as you play in moderation, they're great games. And the journey that you went on, Dueling with Kings, the book, Daniel Barbarisi, uh, I think is a fun read, especially if you are – if you are playing fantasy sports, whether it's just for fun or if you are looking to win money, there's a whole nother part of it that I think is surprising to people that you do a great job of taking us through. I still um, I'm very skeptical that you can walk away from it, though. So if you are able to do that, (laughs) I'll be very impressed.
2: I I will uh, have to let you know. I mean, um, yeah, I guess we're going to find out the hard way.
0: <laughs> yeah, the very hard way. Daniel, such a pleasure to talk to you. The book, terrific. We'll make sure to get this in front of as many eyes as we can. Again, Dueling with Kings. Best of luck playing for however long you play.
2: Thank you, much, Brett Bart. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck to you, too. Maybe I'll see you in there tonight. So,
0: a lot to digest there. Two really good conversations. Brett Smiley, want to thank him with sportshandle.com. And Daniel Barbarisi, the book is Dueling with Kings sports betting it's a it's a real business and it will only get bigger as we go on. I'm just happy that I kind of lost a lot of the money and battled through the addiction before it really gets impossible to avoid the temptation. Wing things podcast 1057 FM the fan.